Welcome to The Crypt, where we talk all things horror. If you love horror, this is the podcast for you. So sit back, relax, and oh yes, don't forget to check under the bed. Welcome to The Crypt. Welcome to the Horror Crypt Podcast, a podcast that is solely dedicated to horror movies. I'm your host, Paul, and I'm your only host. <laughs> the reason that it's only me is that no one in my family, including the dog, likes horror movies, and I'm crazy, some will say about them. So that means I'm going to be talking a lot. <laughs> At the end of the podcast, I'll give a movie rating between zero to five buckets of blood. I hope to have the odd special guest presenter or even one day a co-host, but in the meantime, it's just me. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know how to get in contact with me. You can find me on social media, as most people, Instagram at HorrorCryptOz, Facebook at HorrorCryptOz, and you can also send me a direct message at HorrorCryptOz at gmail.com. Well, this is the very, very first episode of um, the HorrorCrypt podcast, and I thought mm, it'd be a good idea to do the movie that actually got me really hooked on horror movies, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the 1984 American Supernatural slasher film. A little bit of background about this, my grandmother actually took me to see this movie um, when I was 12 years of age, which is um, rather interesting because when I was a kid growing up and I'd go down to spend a week down at her house during the school holidays, we used to go and get the newspaper and look up what movie we were going to go to see. So my grandmother would take me one day to see a movie. So this day we basically went and looked at the newspaper and it said uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Back in those days, there was no internet. There was no trailers that I could see, and if and if there was, I wouldn't be old enough to see them. Um, but I just saw this movie, A Nightmare on Elm Street. So I'm like, okay. And, you know, obviously the, the thing, the little caption for the movie was, if Nancy doesn't wake up screaming, she won't wake up at all. So I thought, oh, that's awesome. So my grandmother took me to see A Nightmare on Elm Street. Needless to say, I did not go to sleep at all for the say at least six months without checking under the bed <laughs> because of this movie so the movie was produced and directed by um, Wes Craven I'm oh, sorry it was written and directed by Wes Craven and produced by Robert Shea and it's the first installment of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise it stars Heather Langenkamp John Saxon and Robert Engold as Freddy Krueger and it also has Johnny Depp as his very first film debut And the plot concerns four teenagers living in one street in the fictitious town of Springwood, Ohio, who are invaded and killed in their dreams and thus killed in reality by a burnt killer with a bladed leather glove. Which is really... This premise was really interesting the way that um, Wes Craven thought this up. He was basically... um, A little bit of background information about how this all started. He was reading a newspaper article about... um, There was a young kid that um, was terrified about going to sleep and he would do things like um, go and get you know coffee pots and you know obviously brew coffee to keep himself awake he would just do you know take you know pills to stay awake he was continuously trying to stay awake because he said in his dreams there was something that was going to kill him and what had actually happened was that uh, during the course of one night he was screaming and whatever And his parents ran into his bedroom and he died in his sleep. And so Wes had this idea of wonder what would happen if I could make a movie 
where the killer was someone that actually got you in your sleep. And henceforth, by the name of Freddy Krueger, the another reason that the name Freddy Krueger is because there was a guy that used to live around the corner or across the road from Wes, and he would basically just terrorize him. And he was absolutely terrified of this guy, and Freddy Krueger obviously was born. The budget for this movie was $1.1 million, and in the box office, it took $57 million, which I think, as far as a return, that's a pretty good return on that one. It did, um, as obviously, it did spawn the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street franchises from um, Freddy's, Re Re Freddy's Revenge um, to The Dream Warriors, Dream Child, um, and The Final Nightmare, and also Freddy's Dead, which... It started to become, for me, like, Freddy Krueger was, when he first arrived on the scene, he was absolutely terrifying. But as time went on, and as it went through the franchises, he became more kitschy and would, you know, have little quips and little um, sayings that he, he, he fell out of the terrifying serial killer or stalker in your dreams to basically just a, almost like a cartoon character because he, di he didn't become terrifying this first one i would say freddy krueger in this movie was absolutely terrifying as we went through into the movies he didn't become he wasn't that that terrifying unfortunately but you know that's the way that goes so not much we can do about it um so in march 1981 tina gray awakes from a nightmare where she is attacked by a disfigured man wearing a bladed glove in a boiler room her mother points out four mysterious slashes on a nightgown. Now, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, if you wake up and you see four slashes on your nightgown or anything that you wear, um, yeah, there might be a bit of concern. And I think Tina's mother, how she says it, she says to Tina, um, you either better, you better cut your nails or stop that kind of dreaming, one or the other. As far as I'm concerned, I would, I would have long-ass fingernails and I wouldn't even fucking give a shit about um, not dreaming anymore. If I could not dream about this asshole, then I would do that because, um, yeah, this this guy that he was stalking her in the beginning of the movie, you'll see that that Tina's walking through like a um, like a sewer or you know it's 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 an underground sort of area, dripping water. There's everything going on, and then you hear um, like a noise in the background and a, uh, a sheep runs past her and so she basically goes through the through the boiler room because that's where freddie takes his children um freddie is a um serial killer but a child serial killer and he would take all his children to the boiler room to to kill them and so whenever anyone dreams of freddie they always end up in the boiler room is where he takes them and so tina is wandering around through the through the you know through the boiler room and he uh he comes up towards her and she screams you know bloody murder and uh, he disappears out of frame. And so she's just standing there and then he just basically springs up behind her and just basically gives this almighty scream and then she wakes up. So that's the four cuts on, on her nightgown that she sees. But when Tina's mother comes in and says, you know, you better cut your, your nails or stop that kind of dreaming, one or the other. Um, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, I'll stop the dreaming because I'm not interested in, in being terrorized by this guy. The following morning, Tina is consoled by her best friend Nancy Thompson and Nancy's boyfriend Glenn Lance. Glenn Lance, as I said, is the um, character played by Johnny Depp. Really young Johnny Depp. I mean, obviously it's his first movie role, but you could almost see what he was going to um, develop into as far as an actor goes. He's got a, 
a great range. He's a very talented actor. I think he's one of the the best actors going around because he is so versatile in everything he does from, you know, just regular movies to Willy Wonka. And, you know, he really gets into his characters along with even um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Although for some reason he's decided to keep the... um, the accent that Captain Jack Sparrow has. Don't know why he's done that, but he is American, but he's got this very weird sort of like English accent that he's kept throughout, you know, from working in the Pirates of the Caribbean. So the two stay at Tina's house when Tina's mother goes out of town, but their sleepover is interrupted by Tina's boyfriend, Rod Lane. Rod is a a typical greaser. Um, leather jacket, greasy hair, carries a switchblade, really pretends to be a badass, you know. At one stage, um, you know, she, they're, they're sitting in, in, you know, Tina's living room and, you know, Nancy and Glenn are sitting there and <clears throat> Glenn had told his parents that he was going to be staying out at his cousin's place and got a mixtape of, like, car, of you know, like a plane flying over and stuff like that. But it changes from that to a drag race to a full-blown scale war that's going on because he got this soundtrack tape from Rod. So they're just sitting there and they're all laughing and you know, and he go and of course Tina says to or Nancy says to Tina, um, yeah, see I told you Nancy uh, see I told you Tina you'd be feeling better and she said, You know what, I I can't forget, you know, hearing those finger knives. And she goes, What? And he goes she says, you know, the the guy scrapes his finger you know, scrapes his fingernails. And Nancy goes, that's amazing that you would actually say that. She said, that reminds me of a dream I had the other night. And she said, well, what did you dream? She said, I dreamed of a guy in a dirty red and green sweater um, that had knives for fingers. And she said, uh, oh, my God, Nancy, you dreamed about the same creep I did. And Glenn's like, no, it's impossible. You, you can't dream the same dream that she did. And, of course, they hear this little screech outside. And... It startles them for a moment, and uh, Glenn says, Glenn looks at you know, Nancy and Tina, and Tina says, oh, you know, is there something out there, isn't there? And he goes, no, of course not, and then he hears it again, so he goes out to check on what's going on, and Rod decides that he would do a spring attack from, you know, the shadows, and, you know, <laughs> terrify the, the young kids, and of course, Nancy, uh, Rod says to, to Tina, you know, what is this, an orgy or something? And he goes, oh, maybe a funeral dickhead, and of course, you know, Rod being Rod, immediately fires the uh, the switchblade out at uh, at Glenn, and of course, you know, Nancy steps in front of in between the two guys and says, you know, it's a it's a sleepover date, Rod. Just just Tina and me. You know, Glenn was just leaving, and of course, you know, Rod belittles you know um, Glenn in in front of him and goes, oh, did you see his face? He was terrified. So that's how that thing happens. So when Tina falls asleep. She dreams of being chased by the disfigured man. Rod is awoken by Tina's thrashing and sees her dragged and fatally slashed by an unseen force, forcing him to flee as Nancy and Glenn awaken to find Tina's bloodied and dead body. Well, if you go into a room and you're alive and you come out dead, there's a good chance that the person that was in there with the person, or the other person, is going to be the prime suspect. Tina is... um, like, she's asleep, and she gets woken by, you know, this person saying Tina. She looks out the window, and this guy, I guess, just throwing little rocks at her window, breaks part of the, the window. It's almost like a bullet hole. And so she goes downstairs to look. Anyway, she gets chased through the, the, the garden and whatever. And uh, it is it is what it says. You know, she's woken up by, um, or he, he, Rod's woken up by her being thrashed around in bed pulls the covers off, and then suddenly 
four claw marks all at the same time rip through her body and then she starts being dragged up the wall and there's rod watching what's going on and you know calling out tina tina and she's on the top of the roof obviously she's finally dead and she drops down into a pool of blood on the bed there's rod saying i'll kill you and, and he's yelling and screaming in the bedroom and uh glenn and nancy go towards the bedroom and she they hear the like a door breaking and they they bust into the door into the bedroom and rod has escaped through the the bedroom window leaving tina in a pool of blood now anyone that says um you are not the prime suspect uh yeah that is that's not true you would definitely be the prime suspect because you've fled a, fled the scene of the crime there's blood everywhere your girlfriend is dead there is a very good chance that you are going to be the prime suspect the next day rod is arrested by nancy's father don thompson despite his pleas of innocence so what actually happened was that uh she was basically set up as like a uh, like a sting operation uh nancy was going to work uh, going to not going to work going to school and her mother said to her, you didn't get very much sleep last night and she said oh, i'll sleep through study hall that's fine and she starts walking away and she's walking towards school and she sees she looks back over her shoulder and she sees this man in the bushes watching her and so she walks a couple more steps and looks over the back again and he's gone and then she's standing near this pile of bushes and rod comes and grabs her and drags her into the bushes and uh basically nancy asks him you know did you do it and she and he says i wasn't even i didn't even i didn't do that and she said well the door was locked by your side and he said well i didn't i didn't cut her i didn't kill her nancy and he said you know don't look at me like i'm, I'm some sort of fucking fruitcake he said, because I didn't kill her. And then you hear from the corner, Nancy's father say, you know, just move away from her son real easy, like your ass depends on it. And so he makes a bolt for it, and Nancy stands in between his father and Rod. And so, of course, Rod's running down the street barefooted, and of course the police come and arrest him, and he is proclaiming his innocence, saying, you know, I didn't do it, Nancy, I didn't do it. And the, the father says to, to Nancy, you know, what are you doing going to school anyway? And she said, you, you you used me. And it was. She was being used as a, um, basically being used to trap Rod. So at school, Nancy falls asleep in class and dreams that the man chases her to the boiler room where she is cornered. She then deliberately burns her arm on a pipe. Now, this is where she figures out that this can be controlled. Now, a lot of people say um, when you're when you're an experienced dreamer, you can control your dreams. You can control what happens to you. So Nancy figures that you know to try and stop her from getting you know attacked by this entity or whatever she, whatever's going on, she looks at the the, the pipe next to her and she just burns her, her arm on it. When she wakes up screaming in the in the class, um, she comes out of the school and there's a, a burn mark there. But before we get to that. When she falls asleep in class, it's in these sort of movies, they fall asleep and they're in the dream immediately. So it's almost like you've got to try and watch when they when they fall asleep, when they start dreaming or when they're in the dream world. And that's basically explained in the other movies as we go along. But as she wakes up in this dream, she sees Tina in a body bag sitting next to her in, in class. And then in the next instance, she looks towards the, the class of you know other school children and no one's seeing her and she looks well, no one's seeing what she's seeing she looks back and tina is now laying in the hallway and you see her legs be put picked up by you know an, an unseen entity or being or whatever 
and she's dragged away. So as she's following the blood trail, she runs around a corner and there's this girl that's got a dirty red and green green sweater and a little bit of a, a blood stain on her nose. And she says, oh, where's your pass? And obviously in America, you need a hall pass to move from place to place. And she says, oh, screw your pass. And as she starts to run away, she hears Nancy. And she turns around and looks at this girl. And of course, this girl's now got the glove on her hand and a lot of blood coming from her head and saying, you know, don't run in the hallway. And that's how Nancy then follows, you know, what's going on down into the boiler room. So when she wakes up in, from the from the boiler room scene, she's got this uh, burn mark on her, uh, on her arm. So basically now she knows that it can be controlled. So the burn startles her awakening class and she notices the burn mark on her arm, obviously when she gets out of class. Nancy goes to Rod at the police station who tells her details about what happened to Tina along with his own recent nightmare. This makes Nancy believe that the man is responsible for Tina's death. So when she goes to speak to Rod and she's, you know, can you just tell me what happened and what was going on? And, she was, and he was saying, you know, I just thought this was just another nightmare like the one I had the night before. He said, I just dreamed of this guy. He had knives for fingers. And sort of like Nancy is very startled and she gets up and she starts like moving away from him. And he said, uh, do you believe me or do you think I'm lying? And she goes, no, no, I, I don't believe you're lying at all. You know, but she obviously realizes that this same person, now she's encountered this person in the boiler room uh she was explained to this by tina that this is the person so it's almost like hang on a minute this we're all starting to put this together we've got tina's telling us about a guy in a dirty red and green sweater with knives on his fingers rod's saying about it i dreamt about it, or I, you know had a quick dream about him in class this is starting to become really really serious so at home Nancy falls asleep in the bathtub and is nearly drowned. <laughs> um, my mum always used to say to me, if I'm having a bath, don't fall asleep in the bath. And I think that's probably what every parent has said to their children. Don't fall asleep in the bath because you can drown. Because your body becomes so relaxed with the warm water, with the warmth around you, that you can, if you're really, really tired, you can fall asleep, slip under the water, and you can drown. I don't know how you could drown, but, you know, it's possible. So Nancy is laying there in, in the bath, and, of course, her mother is on the other side of the door saying, don't fall asleep in there. And she's like, you know, um, hundreds of people, you know, die every every year in doing that. And she goes, oh, for Pete's sake. And she says, I've warmed, warmed up some milk for you, honey. And, of course, she's like, warm milk? Gross. And so she's laying there and she starts to sing this song. The song is One, Two, Freddy's Coming For You. And there's no reason that she should know this song because we haven't heard it, but she's starting to sing this song. And from now between her legs, yes, a lot of people sit there and go, oh, this is some, some hot shit. But no, between her legs, you suddenly start to see this um, gloved hand coming up from the water, basically from between her legs, coming up to, to meet her, and drags her under and drags her and so basically the the bath has become like this huge enormous underground swimming pool so she's pulled right underneath the water and she's she's trying to swim up to the top and as she swims up to the top she starts you know thrashing around and yelling mum mum and of course the mother you know hears this and breaks into the into the room but as she's breaking trying to break into 
um, the the bathroom. Luckily, Nancy gets away and jumps out of the bath and <clears throat> puts her bathrobe on. And the mother comes in and goes, you know, I heard you calling me. And she goes, oh, I just slipped getting out of the tub, mother. And she goes, oh, well, you know, I told you hundreds of people die every year, you know, in, in this situation. She goes, oh, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. And she goes, all right, well, I'll, I'll go and turn your bed down. And she goes, all right, that's fine. So the mother leaves and they lock. she locks the door and she looks towards the bath as if to say, I don't fucking believe what just happened, but that's I, 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 how did that possibly happen? So she looks in the medicine cabinet and there is the, the wonderful tablets called Nodos, which if anyone has ever taken Nodos tablets means that you can't fall asleep. Hmm. Sorry, I just had to have a drink of water, a drink of water because um, I'm only doing this by myself. Um, so the Nodos basically is... Um, I think they're like caffeine tablets, but they're a lot more potent than than caffeine tablet or tablets or straight caffeine. They're, they've got an extra shot of it, so you know. So, um, <laughs> so Nancy then depends on caffeine to stay awake and invites Glenn over to watch her as she sleeps. Now, if a girl ever says to you, "Come over and watch me sleep." For some reason, Glenn's got this whole idea of like, yeah, it's dark in here. And she goes, and of course, Glenn only lives across the road. So he's standing on like a a, um, uh, a rose trellis out beside her uh, her bedroom window and calls her. And she opens up the window to get some fresh air. And Glenn goes, hi, and of course startles her. And she goes, oh, for God's sakes. And she gets him into the bedroom and she goes, you know, sometimes I really wish you, you didn't live straight across the road from me. So she says to him, you know, I'm, I need your help. Uh, I need to go and sort of like look for somebody and I need you to stand as a guard just to make sure that I don't get in any trouble. And if you see me get in any, in any trouble, please wake me up. And he goes, well, you know, it's dark in here. And she goes, yeah, well, this is not what you're thinking. But she said, I've just got to go and find somebody. So just keep a lookout. So he goes, okay, that's fine. No worries. So, <clears throat> in her dream, Nancy sees the man to prepare to kill Rod in his cell, but then turns his attention towards her. So, what happened was, she comes out of the um, the bed or out of her front door of her house, and she's walking towards you know the the, the laneway or the yeah the laneway, and says to um, calls out you know Glenn, are you watching? And he, he comes out from behind a tree and he goes yeah so, and she goes I'm just checking. So as the as she's walking, she finds herself standing in front of the police station and bends down towards where the window is where you can see Rod asleep and sees the door open up and Freddie starts walking in towards you know, towards him and then goes through actually walks through the set of bars and she's banging on the on the window saying Rod Rod wake up and he looks up towards her in a really menacing sort of like way and sort of like smiles at him and she's saying you know Glenn Glenn are you there and Suddenly he disappears, and so she looks towards where Glenn is, and she says, and of course Glenn's, uh, not Glenn, Rod's sort of like awake, and says to Glenn, you know, Glenn, are you there? And he goes, and you hear in the corner, you know, I'm here, and of course Freddie then bounces out from behind this tree, so Nancy starts to, like, you know, runs away, and wakes up when her alarm clock goes off. So what had actually happened was she set the alarm, even though that that Rod, even though that uh, Glenn was there waiting, you know, to see if she's okay, she set an alarm just in case. And so she wakes up, you know, in a startle, and she's screaming, and she says to Rod, uh, to says to Glenn, Glenn, you 
bastard. And he goes, what? And she goes, I asked you to do one simple thing, just to stay awake and watch me, just, just make sure I'm okay. And what do you do, you shit? You fall asleep. Of course, then, you know, you, you hear the mother coming into the bedroom. So um, the time before that, as she's waking up from the dream, uh, she she puts a pillow in front of her and Freddie uh, slashes the, the pillow and there's feathers all over the place in, in the dream. And so... Glenn goes out of the out of the out of the bedroom and goes onto the rain uh, under the uh, rose trellis. And the mother comes in and goes, "Nancy, you okay?" And she goes, "Oh, yeah, I just had a bit of a bit of a dream. I'm going to go right back to sleep." Of course, the mother is unbeknownst to everyone at that moment. She's a bit of a lush, so she's a, a closet alcoholic. She wanders around the house all hours of the night, basically drinking up a storm. Whether that's through the fact that she's divorced, or whether she's just a lush, who knows? That could have been the downfall of her marriage. Not really sure. But so that happens. So when the mother leaves, she says to Glenn, Glenn, are you still there? And then you see this little bit of feather fly around the room and fly out the window. So now Nancy realizes that this is actually becoming real. Like there is something going on that she can transfer what happens in her dream to what's happening in real life. Therein lies the problem. Because you've got to try and work out then where the difference between reality and fantasy start to to come into it. So Nancy says to Rod, uh, says to, to Glenn, look, we've got to go to the police station. So she runs to the, they run to the police station and she says, you know, um, I've got to see Rod Lane again. And they're like, listen, I, you know, he's asleep in his, in, in the cell. He's completely fine. There's no problems. And she said, no, 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 I've got to go down and see if he's okay. So the father happens to be doing the night shift, and she said, and of course Glenn says, we've got to believe that there's something very strange going on at the moment. And the father says, oh, you've got no, no, uh, no problems there. I know something's going on that's really strange. And she says, listen, Daddy, when she calls her father Daddy, please go down and just look at him. So as they're trying to find the key, you see the bed sheets start to be tightened around Rod's neck, and Rod is hung by Freddy Krueger. Of course, they don't know that Rod was hung by Freddy Krueger. They just think that the weight of a possible murder charge on Rod pushed him over the edge, and he, he decided to hang himself. So, but I find it interesting, and this is something that I I, I don't really have a great deal of. I don't know. I'm I'm sort of on the fence of this because he only just hung himself by the time they run in to the cell. So by the time they got into the cell, they could have really cut him down and he would have been fine. I don't think it would have been tightened around that much that it would have killed him instantaneously because he is fighting it as he's being pulled up towards being hung um, in the bars of, of the window. But yeah, he dies. And I just, I just sometimes I think, well, that was really a bit too quick for that one. But, you know, it's a movie, so you've got to just suspend some belief and disbelief and everything else that goes on. Um, of course, yeah, as I said, it makes it look like suicide, which we all know it actually wasn't suicide because you can see the, um, bedsheet starting to be moved around his neck. That way we know that Freddie is the one that's doing it. At Rod's funeral, uh, Nancy's parents become worried when she describes her dream. Her mother Marge takes her to a sleep disorders clinic where, in a dream, Nancy grabs the man's fedora with the name Fred Krueger written in it and pulls it in from the dream into reality. So when they actually go into this um, dream clinic, she says, you know, I don't know why you can't just give me a pill to stop me dreaming. 
And the the doctor goes, if you don't dream, you go, as in you you'll you know lose your mind. So she says. Then the mother says, you know, Nancy, trust us. So she goes into sleep. And um, now I understand there's a difference between different lots of sleep. There's REM sleep and whatever, um, where we really go into a dream and we close our our ears, close off, and we can't hear a thing, and we're in our own little dreamland. But she's he says something along the lines of. Um, uh, a dream, a, a nightmare now would be plus or minus five or six, and when he when she starts dreaming, he says, "Oh, this is a, a she's having a really good dream, a typical dream for an amateur." I don't know how you could actually decipher what sort of dreams are good by just watching numbers on on a board or on a computer screen, but when she when he says, "You know, she's nice and relaxed, she's definitely asleep," and of course the mother says, "Thank thank God, you know, because she hasn't slept since the murders." And she said, uh, what the hell are dreams anyway? And he goes, well, they're body hocus pocus and they're things that we don't know of and we don't know where they come from or, you know, where they, where they originate from. We just don't know what dreams are. But, you know, we all, obviously we all dream. So as she's in the middle of, you know, dreaming away, she starts, do you hear this, the um, screeching of his knives? So you know that she's now being hunted in her dream by Freddy. And the numbers are skyrocketing. I mean, they're going from 14 to 50 to 150 to, I think at one stage it gets up as high as about six or 700. And he's like, they, they just they just never go this high. And she is really screaming. And he's, and, and of course the mother's like, uh, is she awake or is, he, is she asleep? And she run, they run into the bedroom or they run into the uh, examination room and she wakes up or she's, she's startled awake. And she's got some cuts on her arm, and they're like, "Oh my God, you know, get something because she's she's bleeding." And uh, Nancy sort of like looks and pulls out from something from underneath the bed sheets, and she says, "Oh my God, I bought something out from my dream." And the mother goes, "Where did you get that?" And she said, "I grabbed it off his head." Now, her mother has this whole scenario of, "I don't think you really got it where you where you thought you got it from," but. We all know that Nancy went into the dream clinic without anything. I mean, you wouldn't bring a fedora with you to plant in the bed to make you seem that you've actually got this very bad nightmare going on. You wouldn't scratch yourself to the point that she's, pardon me, that she's scratched because the cuts are so deep. I mean, there's basically like three cuts on her arm. Pardon me, my voice is going. This is why why you have to have some beverage while you're talking. Pardon me. Um, so this is where, you know, she's got these three enormous cuts in her arm and she's trying to tell people that, Hey, th- I bought this out from my dream. This is really real. I, I didn't dream this. This was, this, this is, I've, I've, I pulled this off of his head. So, okay. Upon, so when they get home, the, the mother's on the phone. She's like, you know, I, um, I, you know, I, th- I think, you know, you're starting to lose it. The mother's very sympathetic. And she said, I don't know where you think you got that, you know, that dirty hat or what you're really trying to prove. And she goes, what I learned in the dream clinic, mother, that's what I learned. And she said, it's even got his name written on it because she originally said, did you give it to daddy to have the, um, the, the, the hat examined? And she goes, oh, I threw that disgusting hat away. And she said, you know, and of course the mother lied because she had it you know, in, a, in a drawer next to her the whole time. And she said, I don't know what you're trying to prove. And she said, what I learned in the dream clinic, mother, she said, um, it isn't, even has his name written on it. 
Fred Krueger, mum. Fred Krueger. Do you know who that is? Because if you do, you better tell me because now he's after me. And she said, you know, you're sick, Nancy. You need some, you need some sleep. And of course, the mother is, has a bottle of vodka in her hand. She, and Nancy grabs it from the, from her hand and, you know, slashes it, smashes it on the ground. And basically says, you know, screw sleep. And she walks towards the back door and the mother says, you know, you would just feel better if you sleep. And she goes, that's enough. And walks away. So she meets up with, um, with Glenn and they're talking about, you know, um, what's going on in dreams and, Glenn says, um, well, have you ever heard of the Balinese way of dreaming? And she said, no, I've never heard of that. And she said, he said, well, basically, when you're confronted with something in your dream, you turn your back on it and you take away its energy. And she said, well, if the people that don't do that, what, are, what happens to them? And he said, well, I guess they never wake up to find out. But in the meantime, Nancy's reading this book called uh, Booby Traps and Anti-Personnel Devices. And, of course, Glenn goes, what are you reading that for? And she said, ah, I'm into survival, which, with what's going on with herself with uh, Fred Krueger, uh, yeah, there's a good reason to get some anti-personnel devices because you may need it to cover your ass because he's coming for you. So upon barricading the house, Nancy comes home from being out with Glenn for, I don't know, I'd, I'd say a good three, four hours. She comes home and every window in the house is barricaded with bars and it's like it's she's like a prisoner right now um the rose trellis is gone she, she can't get out of the house at all even the little window um in the front door is barricaded and there's no way in hell you could get through that anyway but every window is is barricaded so marge reveals to nancy that kruger was an insane child murderer who was released on a technicality and then burned alive by parents living on this street sinking, seeking vigilante justice. This is what I get really pissed off about with the mother. And the reasons being is that she knew, she fucking knew for the entire time what was going on. That she knew that this guy, when she was saying this guy, his name is Fred or Fred Kruger. You know, the mother, when she was first told about this guy, Fred Kruger, she basically gave Nancy this look like holy fucking shit you know what's going on you this this guy's real and she tried to convince Nancy all the time that this was just in her in her head it wasn't real whatever but for her to describe it so well because I remember in in one part of the movie where they they finished a, a funeral they're at a funeral and she said uh this was after Tina's Tina's um murder and she says well you know you know the killer's still out there and she and of course the father goes, well, who is it then? You know, tell it, tell me, and I'll go arrest them. And she goes, I don't know who it is, but he wears a hat, and he wears a, a dirty red and green sweater. And you can see the mother, and she said, on and he's got horrible scars like burns all over his body. And the mother has got this look on her face, like, oh my god, you are, you shouldn't even know who this person is, but. In the movie, he was released on a technicality. Apparently, there was a part of the, the warrant or whatever that was not signed in the right place, and the judge had no reason but to dismiss um, him being arrested. And the, fam the family, the uh, parents of Springwood, tracked him down into his boiler room where he used to take his children and threw, you know, Molotov cocktails in there or whatever and burnt him alive. And he swore vengeance but from beyond the grave that he would actually come back and kill his, kill their children but so you know when the mother's sitting downstairs in their basement talking about this to nancy she says i even took his knives and so she opens up this this 
um, uh, like uh, like an old rag, and in there is his finger gloves with his knives. And so she's like, "See, you know, you you can't be hurt by him. I've got his knives, uh, so the nightmare is over. You're you're fine." As far as I'm concerned, Mum, go fuck yourself because you're the one that told me that I was. This was all in my head. Now suddenly you're saying, "Oh yeah, by the way, it is true." The guy that you're that's stalking you, yeah, we killed him and we, you know, crispened him. Um, but, yeah, everything's fine. So it's like, oh, God. Um, Nancy realizes that Kruger, now a vengeful ghost, desires revenge and to satisfy his psychotic needs. Because he's got, he loves kill, killing children and that's all he ever follows and that's all he kills is children. And I guess it's almost along the same lines as killing the next generation. It's like in any war situation where you've got, um, you know, an, uh, like an army kills the children. To, that way they actually stop being um, invaded again. There's no chance of getting invaded if you go and kill the next generation. So for Freddy, it's along the lines of we're going to kill the next generation, which I which I find interesting that if he kills the next generation of kids, that's it. He, he's done. He just exacts revenge on the, the children of Springfield or Springwood not Springfield, not The Simpsons, Springwood. And so by killing them, that would be it. I mean, if he got everyone, the children would be done. It would be, he'd just disappear. Uh, so Nancy tries to, to to call Glenn to warn him, but his father prevents her from speaking to him. Glenn falls asleep and is killed by Kruger. This is the iconic scene. A lot of people say that there are parts of the movie that are iconic, but this one by far is the iconic scene. So when Nancy tries to ring Glenn, because she'd originally called him and said, meet me at midnight um, out the front of my house. I don't know how she's going to get him into the house because it's all locked up by her mother and it's got bars on every window and door and whatever. But says, you know, I'm going to go in and get this guy. And when I come out, I want you basically there to, to cold cock him, just to get a base, you know, to wallop him. And he says, well, how am I going to do that? And she goes, oh, you're a you're a jock get a get a baseball bat or something and she said just you know at midnight come to my to my house so glenn's like ah oh, awesome midnight baseball bats and boogeymen brilliant so he's laying there and he's watching um miss nude america and listening to his record so his mother walks in and wakes him up because he, he'd fallen asleep and the mother says you know you should really get to sleep because you know we've had a really hard time around here and he says he says what time is it and she goes it's almost midnight and he says to his mother and father you guys turning in she goes oh pretty soon you know you know and <laughs> one of the best best comic lines is um he goes uh she goes why are you up so late and he goes oh i'm i'm not watching the tv mum just um just watching it new miss nude america is on tonight and she says well how are you going to hear what you what she's going to say when you're listening to your records and he goes, who cares what she says? And she goes, don't be, don't be a smart ass, <laughs> which I thought was really quite a, an ingenious little comment to come back. It's like, yeah, I just want to see some titties. I don't want, I don't give a shit what she says. I just want to see some butt naked poontang. So, but it's like, okay, no worries. So uh, Nancy decides to give Glenn a call. And of course, by that time, Glenn has again fallen asleep. And I guess in this house, you've got an upstairs telephone and a downstairs telephone so Glenn can answer the phone and the mother picks up the phone and says, you know, hello. And cause they were just, they were just sitting out the front, just, you know, basically watching the house, watching Nancy's house and says, you know, I think that that girl's some kind of lunatic and I don't want him, want, don't want her around my son. 
And so the phone rings and she goes, they go to pick it up. And uh, he's, she says, oh, I need to talk to Glenn. And the father said, you have to talk to Glenn in the morning. And basically slams down the phone to say, you know, you've got to be strict with these kids. And she then take he t- then takes the phone off the hook. Not like this day when, you know, you've got mobile phones everywhere. Back in those days, if you want to block someone, you just take the phone off the hook. So she rings again. And, of course, the phone's now engaged. That way, Glenn can't be disturbed by being asleep. And so she's looking out the window saying, Glenn, don't fall asleep. And at that moment, you see Glenn laying on the bed and Freddie's glove comes from beneath the bed and pulls him under the bed, but pulls him you know, down in the middle of the bed. His record, his record player goes with him, the TV goes with him. And as Nancy's you know, screaming for Glenn, a, an amazing pool of blood, it just shoots up from the center of the bed, covers the entire bedroom. And the mother comes in to see just a, a, a torrent of blood. I mean, it is enormous, the amount of blood coming out from the, the room. Fun fact about this scene, they had actually made this this scene um, on a rotating sort of room. So to make it look real, what you're seeing is that the bed's upside down. So they're actually shooting blood from the top of the roof downwards. But when they actually shoot the movie, they're actually shooting it so it looks like it's going from the from the bottom of the bed upwards um when they did do that however however there was a malfunction in the blood pack and the people that were actually pushing or filtering the blood from the top it backflowed at them and they got covered in (laughs) in blood so uh there was a bit of a, a problem there as far as the special effects go but in being in in saying that um i think the the whole way that they did it was very very effective because you really think and you really believe that there is blood shooting from the from the center of the bed up to the ceiling, and it is really it's really effective. And of course, when um, the police are called to the house, they walk into the house and the blood is dripping seriously from the ceiling onto the floor, and they've got buckets catching the blood. And so Nancy's father is the first person on the scene that goes there, and says to the says to one of the police officers, you know, what does the coroner have to say about it? And he goes, you kidding me? He's in the John puking ever since he saw it. So I'm guessing that, that, that Glenn has just completely been hacked to pieces and he's just a giant glob of glue or, or crap in the, in the bed. Um, but of course, the phone rings and this time Nancy's on the phone and says to, to her father, uh, you know, what's going on? And he said, uh, yeah, something's really has bad happened over here. And she said, he's dead, isn't he? And he said, yeah, I I believe he's dead. And she says, well, I've got a really big favor to ask you, Daddy. I'm going to go and get the guy that did it, and I need you to be there when you when I bring him out. And, she's, and he says, well, baby, tell me who did it, and I'll go and get the guy. And she said, Fred Krueger did this, Dad, and it's only my dream that he comes to, and I'm the only person that can get him out. She said, so I need you to be there, so I can bring him out and you can arrest him. So she says, I'm going to go to sleep and I want you to break the door down in, in exactly 20 minutes. That will be half past midnight. And so she said, and of course the father says, okay, well, you go and get some sleep. And she, she said, but you'll be here to, to arrest him, won't you? And she said, and he says, yes, of course I will. And so hangs up the phone and says to one of the guys, one of the other officers, you know, please go outside and watch my daughter's house. 
You know, I don't want her coming over here. She's too far gone to see something like this. Now, the time that it takes between her... Now, she starts setting up booby traps. She puts a, um, a solid mallet over the top of her bedroom door. She um, puts a basically a whole lot of um, shotgun shells into uh, a light globe, fills that up, and then strings the string between the doorway that attaches that and then basically sets up a, a couple of other traps. Now, that would have taken you a good 30 to 40 minutes to to set up. So this whole idea of like, I'll be, you know, you'll be breaking down the door in 20 minutes, you've still got to go to sleep to wait to, to find this guy. So you've done all this preparation. How the hell do you then go to sleep and have your father break down the door in 20 minutes? The continuity between the actual setting up of the of the traps to actually getting the father to break the door down doesn't make any sense. But you know what? That's fine. As I said, we've got to suspend belief in this movies because sometimes, uh, yeah, it doesn't really work all that well. So now alone, Nancy puts Marge to sleep and asks Don, who's the father, investigating Glenn's murders, uh, to break into the house in 20 minutes. As I said, Nancy rigs booby traps around the house and grabs Kruger out of her dream and into the real world. So now, the way that it happened is that she goes into her dream and she goes down into her basement and opens up the, the boiler that's in there and Freddy's glove is gone. So that's fine. Glove's gone. She she goes down. She fights him. She comes out of her dream. The alarm goes off and she had, she was holding onto him in the front door, uh, in the front of her house. The alarm goes off. She's holding onto him and it's like the final 10 seconds countdown and Freddie's there and she jumps onto him and holds him and then goes five, four, three, two, one, and it's done. And she wakes up and she looks and she gets out of the bed and she's sitting on the edge of the bed and she goes, oh my God, I really am crazy. And then suddenly you hear, rah, from the opposite side of the bed and it's Freddie. So she grabs the coffee pot, smashes it over his head, runs out the bedroom door, shuts the door and rigs the first of many traps, which is the solid steel mallet that's hanging above her door. Freddie pulls the door open and gets absolutely fajizzed in the stomach and he falls down down the stairs then of course she runs in she jumps over the uh, booby trapped uh, light globe into the into the living room and goes come on freddy come and catch me and he goes i'll split you in two and trips the trip wire and he gets an explosion on her, on his back with these with the with the um, shotgun shells so she's running around the house. She runs downstairs into the boiler room, or into the basement, and he follows her down. And as she runs around the corner, she turns the light off and grabs a, a, a like a big pot or a big glass container of fuel. And Freddie runs around the corner and starts scraping his his finger knives against the the side of the boiler. And she goes, uh, "Hey!" And he turns around and she throws the the um the glass cylinder of of fuel against him and lights him up on fire. So that's fine. She runs to the front door and she's, you know, she's trying to convince her father to, you know, um, break the door down. The police arrive to find that Kruger has escaped from the basement. Nancy and Don go upstairs to find a burning Kruger smothering Marge in her bedroom. After Don puts out the fire, Kruger and Marge vanish into the bed. This is probably one of the best scenes that I've ever, ever experienced. And it just... I don't know, even talking about it now, it gives me chills in this movie because it shows Nancy is a real badass. I mean, I used to think, um, 
I mean, not that I ever thought that there were the girls couldn't be badasses, <clears throat> but this is the very first movie that I actually can honestly say that um, she was a real badass. So when Don leaves the room, because because Nancy says, you know, I'll be down in a minute, Dad. Just you go down. So she turns her back towards the bedroom uh, from the bed because she sees her mother being sucked down into the bed um, with theatrical, you know, lightning and smoke and whatever, and the door shuts. And he goes, she, she's got her back towards the bed and she goes, I know you're there, Freddie. And you see the uh, mattress, like, you know, like he comes up from the mattress and he breaks open the mattress and he's standing behind her. And he goes, uh, she goes, um, I know your secret now, Freddie. And he goes, now you die. And she go, and she goes, I know your secret now. You're not real. This is not real. This is just a dream. And she turns around and she looks at him with this really intense sort of like, I'm going to fuck you up. And she looks at him and she goes, I want my mother and friends again. You are nothing. You are shit. And basically turns her back on him and he goes to attack her and he evaporates into thin air with just, he just disappears. Now, remember Glenn said in that final moment, if you're confronted by a demon or whatever, you turn your back on it, it takes away its energy, and it's done. And as she said, you know, I, I take away... That's right, when she's looking at him, she goes, I take back every bit of energy I ever gave you. You're nothing. You're shit. And so that's how he, how he evaporates. Nancy steps outside into the bright and foggy morning where all her friends and her mother are still alive. This is... This is actually a really great scene. Nancy gets into the cars, uh, into Glenn's car, which is a convertible, to go to school, and then the top suddenly comes down to lock them in the car and drives uncontrollably down the street. Three girls in, wh- in white dresses play jump rope and are hearing ch- hear, heard chanting Kruger's nursery rhyme as Marge is grabbed by Kruger through the front door and through the window of the front door. In credits, it fades to black as they see the car driving down. When I first saw this movie, I didn't realize that the convertible, when the, when the convertible roof slams down, it's the red and green of his sweater. So as they drive away, you hear, one, two, Freddy's coming for you. And the mother's looking as the, the, the kids are driving away, basically being trapped in Glenn's car. And then you see Freddie's hand come through the window, grab her, which is a really bad prop. It's um, if you pause it, you'll actually see that it's a it's a dummy. It's not even a good dummy. It's it's not even a mannequin. It's uh, like a, a foam latex dummy. And it's and she's pulled towards in towards the house or inside the house, as if to say that she's being killed by Freddie. But it's a it's probably out of all of them. Um, it's really it's a really bad special effect. The only other bad special effects they had is that when Nancy is running up the stairs, she um, each step starts to um, become like like glue, and she's actually stepping into circles that actually are starting to become like glue. You can actually see where she's supposed to step because now because of the technology we've got, the the uh, the TVs are so clear. As she goes to step, she puts her foot into one circle, then puts her foot into the other circle, and it's like clear glue. It's like it's a it's a really gluey sort of like texture. So as the car drives away, you see the, the three children, as they said, in white dresses on the front uh, lawn 
playing ball and skipping rope as the car goes down the down the road, um, indicating that Freddy has again grabbed a hold of them. This is where you have this feeling of, well, is this part of the movie real, or is this part of the movie still in the dream? We're never told about that. I think it's probably would be. A, I don't know. I, I I don't know. I can't really. I really can't work it out, because she does turn up in. Um, in number three, Dream Dream Warriors. So I don't know whether at that moment she was still in a dream uh, or whether it was real. I don't know. But I just say that it's a great movie. I've I loved my grandmother. May May she rest in peace. Um, exposing me to that, and this has been this was the movie that actually launched my uh, love and adoration towards horror movies. Any horror movies that I can get my hands on, I don't like the really horrible ones that you sit there and go really. I love the campy ones like Return of the Living Dead. Um, but these sort of movies, yeah, I love horror movies. So giving this uh, rating of between uh, zero to five buckets of blood, I reckon I'd give this about a ooh, five being I'd watch it right away or zero being I'd never watch it again. I'd give it like a four. I I, I, I love watching this movie. It usually, uh, about every week, not every week. Oh my God, I'm not watching this movie every week, that's for sure. Um, I'd say every six months I'm watching this movie. It's one of those movies that I can go back to time and again and enjoy and sit there and really get involved in the movie. The cinematography is great. I think that uh, the original storyline that um, Wes Craven came up with is is brilliant. How you can take a movie from you know hearing about a person dying in his sleep to being this enormous franchise. I, I love the movie. I, I've always enjoyed uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Number two, mm, yeah, that's getting into a very grey area of um, what they consider to be probably the, the gayest um, horror movie, and I say that in a respectful way. It's very much, um, a lot of people have, have evaluated the movie, um, and it was actually even shown that the, the main actor, um, the young guy in it, was uh, had just recently come out of the closet, as being you know gay, so he was actually trying to play a straight guy in this movie. So, yeah, number two was I didn't really enjoy it. I haven't seen this number two in quite a while, but every now and again I'll go and revisit it. But I tend to go number one, number three, number four. I I wouldn't recommend seeing the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. I fucking hate Hollywood for not coming up with brilliant and great new ideas. I don't know why they have to fucking reboot um, the old stuff that's already a classic. The new um, Freddy Krueger looks like shit. Even Robert England has said it looks like shit. So I tend to stay away from that. I, I don't. I'm not interested in doing anything with regards to watching the new Nightmare. I've I've watched it. I will say I've definitely watched it. Um, but I don't. Uh, I don't agree with the way they've remade it. It's. I mean, the dream sequences is like yeah, it goes in and out. But Freddy's face looks horrible. So I really don't like it. But uh, that being said, yeah, four out of uh, four out of five, I would recommend if you ever get a chance to sit down and watch Nightmare on Elm Street. You'll probably never sleep uh, without checking under the bed for at least the first couple of months because you always have that fear of looking under the <laughs> of looking under the bed because that's where Freddy came from and that's what used to do it for me. I always used to be looking under the bed. But other than that, um, that's the end of this podcast. I'm going to be doing. Uh, I'm trying to get a. a a movie every week. I haven't selected the second one. Actually, yes, I have. I've selected the second movie. It's called The Bite. Uh, it was a movie that I'd never heard of. I saw a preview of it on um, YouTube, and it looked actually quite interesting. 
And so I, I went out, got the DVD, uh, and I, I, it wasn't a bad movie. I, I haven't really sat down and critiqued it yet, which I'm going to. But uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a look at that. So that'll be the next movie that I'll be reviewing, which will be this time next week. Um, and it will be The Bite. So in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you want to subscribe, please go ahead and do so. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram um, at uh, HorrorCryptOz. And if you want to send me a message, horrorcryptoz at gmail.com. It'd be great to get a following um, and to get people really organized, yeah, really interested in this, in this uh, podcast. But in the meantime, I will leave you with that and say I will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Crypt Horror Podcast. Join us next time as we dive into the world of horror movies. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until we meet again, remember, keep the closet light on and always look under the bed.